श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए और भक्त वृंद की जाए गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन नाइस टू बी विद यू अगेन एट द फायरसाइड सो यू हैड अ नाइस डे या चिल्ड्रन टू ओके so this is the last time we will discuss and tomorrow morning you'll be here and then take lunch back to charlotte huh so i hope you'll come again and like to visit some of you in charlotte also sometime i come here for 12 weeks every year 6 weeks in springtime from may 1st to april or excuse me april 1st to may 15th and then from september October 1st to November 15th so 6 weeks in the springtime as pricks 6 weeks in the, in the fall hmm? good times to come not too hot not too cold <laughs> and so gradually we are trying to develop this project has many ideas in mind but you're welcome to come here and stay in a tent anytime until we get more facilities and then we can accommodate you that much much better So we had kind of a long discussion this morning many many points covered <laughs> so I thought I would just ask if anybody has any questions about that or anything any subject of interest don't be shy to ask a question if I don't know the answer I'll tell you that I don't know the answer and if I do I'll I'll give the best answer that I can any question yes 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 I mean one quick question first I had was around what you just said uh, like coming here uh, we wanted to understand a little bit more about the project also mm. and also like how we can contribute so mm. a lot of us have grown with this teachings in different forms not exactly yes. the same font but different uh, yeah. but we are familiar with the teachings and um, and we really appreciate that and we really adore that uh, we may, may not be like strict devotees in the sense of the devotees but we like to be associated with it and so from that background i mean how can we we will help here or is it okay to come and be part of it even though we may not be considered strictly devotees mm-hmm. let's get some clarity around that aha uh-huh. thank you for the question but first of all um what we are want to do here that's part of your question many things so we have about 150 acres so it's quite big and it's divided by very naturally by the topography into different distinct outdoor rooms if you will hmm? like now we're in what's actually the central valley of the property there's a mountain to the north that extends 1100 feet and there's a mountain here to the south that goes the same 1100 feet so we're in the middle of these two mountains and this valley goes back here and across the creek and over the hillside and it's quite large down here in this area where we come in the parking the cars there so this area where we are now we expect to turn it into somewhat of a commercial um area by that i mean we want to develop a like a retreat center hmm? and housing uh 
cabins, uh, different types of facilities where you can stay in a dormitory type situation or in a cabin to yourself. And so the different grades of people with different economies and so forth can participate. And the retreat center will be staffed by our members. Hmm? And so we will provide housing and a facility for a retreat, for example, let us say a yoga teacher hmm? from some school of yoga wants to bring her students here for a week-long immersion uh, seminar in yoga. So we will cook hmm, and provide the, the place for doing that and the residents for one week. So that provides us, the, the community itself, some income. The income is entirely related to what we are about and what we do. Hmm? And it enables us to interact with different paths also. We're rather pluralistic. Even though we have our own tradition, we appreciate the common ground right, between different uh, spiritual traditions and so forth. So uh, we, we like to say what we are about, but we, we don't like to say that's the only way. But if you like it, then, then fine. If you don't, that's fine too. Hmm? And we have enough in common with other spiritually-minded people to, to be able to come together on that uh, common ground. And so, uh, this area of northern, of western North Carolina is, is uh, very much uh, um, oriented towards vacations, adventure, and retreats, and things of that sort. So it's a good area for that uh, to begin with. And uh, Asheville area that this is the part of is kind of a quasi-spiritual place in North America also. To have, to, to have a facility for spiritual type of retreats is a good business idea, if you will. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it should serve to provide us with some type of economic engine. Of course, we need some economy to get that started, and then it will have its own income. We kind of have a dead battery. We need to push the car a little bit, and then it will run very, very well, I'm sure. So that's what we want to do with this area, and not then... You know, there's extended ideas from that. Some eat, obviously, there has to be dining facilities and, uh, and um, other related things. Maybe like Ayurveda type of center where people can come and have some Ayurveda type of retreat where they can get alternative health treatments for whatever, hmm? this type of thing. And I have students who teach Ayurveda, who teach yoga, and, and, but it's not limited to my students who would do retreats. Hmm? Well, we won't have retreats that is purely vegetarian, and uh, we're not going to just entertain anybody for the money of it, but people who have, and we have enough common ground with, and there are a lot of, um, I would say, uh, people who are part of, to use an, kind of an American term, an alternative culture within America, hmm? who are spiritually minded, and many of whom, the majority of whom are influenced by by Hinduism and Eastern philosophy, but Buddhism, which is outgrowth of Hinduism, anyway. So, so that's what we want to do. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I have to have to get my inner microphone going here. <laughs> so that's what we want to do in the, this this area. So this is the, like the Central Valley, and it's surrounded by a ridge. 
where we can have like the guest facilities and so forth. If you go back in here and over to the left and across the creek, there's a whole other area over there as well. We will have individual cabins, and so it's it's a extensive kind of facility for this this kind of thing. And um, and then across this creek over here, when you come and park, there's a, there's a creek there also. Across that is another valley. That valley runs north and south of the whole property. Hmm? It has wider sections and narrower sections, but there I want to do like a campground where you can, it's more economical even. Every so often there will be a bathhouse and place for tents and so forth. So people, if they don't have a lot of income, they can come. Or if they want their own private place, then they can stay. Hmm? So then, further on the other side of that creek and up the hill, we subdivided six about one-acre lots. We sold them to members of our community who have families. They're all sold. So that was good. That generated some income. And gradually, they're, they're building. Where's Gorwani? And, and they're just now going to start building their their house there hmm? so that's a little it's a little separate from everything but it's still part of the property so different types of people who live here with different psychologies like I'm sannyasi so I have a certain psychology <laughs> I like kids but I don't want to have any <laughs> so uh, but then others ha ha want to have children they have them so I'll interact with them but on my terms and they have their place, and I have mine, and then we have places where we meet also, where it all works together, right? So uh, then there'll be brahmacharis. Hmm. Then there are some people who are married, maybe they're older, their kids are grown, hmm? and the kids are doing their own lives and so forth, and they want to size down maybe, so they will have maybe like a little two-bedroom place here we'd provide, and they will, they will purchase with like a life lease, so they will make the purchase, they will build the cabin, and then when they expire, hmm, it will come back to the community hmm, so that it can perpetuate itself and keep those facilities available for other retired people and future generations. Hmm. Or maybe they will be a, we'll make a situation where they'll pass it down to one generation, to their eldest daughter. <laughs> and then after she expires, then it will come back to the community, something like that. Hmm. And so, in the northern mountain over here, where you probably haven't been, I don't know who's been taking you around, but it's, it's over here. We have lots of area up there, beautiful area with views, and it's a beautiful, beautiful setting, just like you've been up on this mountain here where the cows are and so forth. There's another mountain up there. It hasn't been cleared or developed, but it has the same kind of potential for the feeling and so forth. So we have a lot of places up there for those type of life leases. Hmm? that uh, it's, uh, you know, it's like owned by the deity and you can be rent from, from Radhamadava. They're the landlords, something like that. Um, then um, up on the, the, where the cows are and so forth, that's where I want to put the monastery. So I have the main temple there. Then there'll be facilities for monastics, for male and female, hmm? people who want to live very close to the temple, and, and they're in a position to be fully participating in everything that we do here. That's kind of the manpower, the immediate manpower to take care of everything, do everything, and so on. So 
we have a, 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 a kind of stricter devotional community living there. Then we have persons with outside jobs living on the land that they own the lots. Even they can life lease and still have some work to do and, and so forth. And then this is their spiritual center and then there's the commercial center and so something like that is the idea. Hmm? And uh, the area, of course, is a beautiful area in itself and it's affordable. Hmm? It's, uh, as you get closer into Asheville, real estate becomes more expensive. Hmm? Um, so we're kind of on the cusp here between like farmland and adventure land, if you will. And so the prices are, are good. The weather is better than Asheville, too. And so I would uh, encourage uh, persons who are um, um, want to participate, for example, they, they can easily live in the vicinity. They don't have to live on the property that we own. We can extend the influence of our community and an extended sense of the community to have a very meaningful uh force, if you will, an extended community of persons committed to basically the similar ideas. Hmm? So even some of my own students, they, they will buy some land nearby, build a house or buy a house nearby, and as long as they can be in proximity to their work uh, and, and, and so on and so forth, or if they can work out of their home or something like that with some um, telecommunications or something. So... Um, I'm just extending a little bit my vision of what the place, the area, lends itself to. Hmm? And, of course, then uh, in the main center, then we have programs for all the main holidays, like Janamastami, Radhastami, Ramnomi. We just celebrated in that Ramnomi, and so on and so forth. Um, and, uh, and as I say, I'm spending about, uh, well, th three months a year here, and as... I have a similar project in in Costa Rica, and a smaller one, but same idea in California, north of San Francisco. And they're all very rural properties. So, this is the biggest project in its scope. So I expect that in time, as it develops, I'll be spending more more time here as well. Hmm? So, persons like yourself who want to participate, um, there are many ways that you could participate, but largely persons who have who are householders who have families and so forth they they have a commitment there obviously and responsibilities and uh, to meet them honestly they have to have an occupation either the man or the woman or both man and wife and so i think my own personal conviction is that uh, that kind of lifestyle is not unconducive to spiritual practice. It's the norm for most people. I spoke yesterday how bhakti is very generous and very powerful. Hmm? In Yoga Marg, according to Gita, in sixth chapter of the Gita, Krishna is detailing what is required for meditation and he includes celibacy there. So it's difficult to do. <laughs> but bhakti is very powerful and we can do bhakti even as householder. Brahma was a householder. Shiva was a householder. Hmm. <laughs> as he was dressed in ashes. So, uh, heal your type of household he was. But So, so many great Vaishnavas, many great devotees. Hmm. So, in that situation, 
I encourage my own students, who are many of whom, most of whom are in a similar situation like yourself, the family and the. I think you are, you are, um, you're honest in your assessment of yourself, but you are um, not as generous with yourself as Bhakti Devi would be. Hmm? So you're not exactly a devotee. Means that. Uh, uh, you don't feel you can have you can be so strict or something. It's not as strict, perhaps. You've got to start somewhere. Hmm? Everyone has to start somewhere. The thing is, according to your own situation, psychology, if you have help of a sadhu, who you have faith in and confidence, he or she can help you to apply yourself relative to your own situation. What we, what all that you can do in your situation will be the best thing for you and call your spiritual progress even though it may be different, very different from what a sannyasi does. Hmm? You understand? He has a different situation, so he should apply himself in a certain way. You have another situation, you apply yourself in, a, in another way. Hmm? So, for example, sannyasi has no money. Hmm? But we are inspired by sannyasis, real sannyasis, who can teach, have knowledge, and who have good character. Hmm? And teach by their example, more important. Hmm? And so we need those kinds of people in our lives. Hmm? And, but they have no money. So we can support what they want to do. And what do they want to do? They want to share what they have with projects like this. So persons in your situation who have, some, have to work hmm, in that way to support a family, my suggestion is that some percentage of your income and go to projects like this. It doesn't have to be this project, but, but something like this. And um, that when and where your money goes, your mind goes there too. Hmm? So, it is a good thing. How much to give? There's a famous Catholic who was very uh, uh, prominent in Calcutta, Mother Teresa. Maybe you've heard of her. Uh, she passed away. She spent her life in India helping I think poor people, maybe lepers. Hmm? So she said something once that if it doesn't hurt, then you, you aren't giving, something like that. So you have to feel a pinch a little bit. Hmm? Something like that. So the spiritual life, bhakti, as we were talking about it in the context of bhakti, is about giving. Hmm? So I encourage my students to give some percentage of their income to help and I spend it on them hmm? for projects like this. Hmm? And so um, that's one way in which you could help. Hmm? I'm sure you have other good causes and so forth, but if this cause inspires you, then you can speak with, with Bhakti Rasa, hmm? our gracious hosts here, organizing everything, and make some plan to contribute on some regular basis Hmm? Then we can also, we all who participate like that, we inform them every, is it every month, or uh, of our economic situation, where the money is going, how we're not paying the bills yet, <laughs> and so forth. So we have a newsletter, Anandadan. Hmm? Anandadan, the joy of giving is called. So we, we let everybody know what is uh, what is the status and, and so forth. So... Um, this is a meaningful type of relationship between monastics and householders. They complement one another, they serve one another, they help one another. 
So that is one way in which you can participate. Hmm? And uh, also, uh, if you can take advantage of the times when I come in particular, you can come. It's like now you're here for a few days, and in the beginning of May, there's Nushinga Chaturdasi. The, the fort, Chaturdasi, the 14th day. Hmm? It is the day, uh, the, I think, of the, of, the, of the waxing moon in the next month. It is the day of uh, Bhagavan Narsingha, you know? Pralad Narsingha? Hmm? Leela? So we, I'll be speaking on that for two, three days. The significance of, of that from many different angles and so forth. So you can come, for example, and participate in that. Hmm? And um, any other activities that we're doing, if you want to stay in touch, we can inform you and you can come. And yeah, you're welcome to come here. It doesn't matter if you are wearing the tilak or whatnot. But if you're inspired and you find that I can answer your questions, you see, you're all very uh, uh, thoughtful people and uh, pious and sincere. And you're going in your own way from your own culture, and somewhat from some from south, from north, from east, from west, and in India, some different disciplines and so on and so forth, trying to find some common ground there. And, and you know so many things uh, about this. One thing I will humbly say to you that is very much part of your culture also and, and, and Hindu spiritual um, culture is a guru. Hmm? So it's, it's important to have a guide. Hmm? And, and the Buddha or Shankar, Chaitanya, um, uh, so many, uh, Mahavir, this one, that one, so many, uh, Tukram from Maharashtra and, uh, <laughs> and Vivekananda, uh, so many, uh, they all had the gurus also. And they don't teach us that just take it from here, 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 here. We can do that to a point. Hmm? But at some point, if we can find someone who really can answer our questions hmm, and clear our doubts and set an example that inspires us, then we should make an investment there. Hmm? That is a happy thing. Now, it's not a law. Hmm? They said, Tasmad Guru Papadya. Was that word? Tasmad Guru Another one, another one. Oh, uh, it's said like this. One must have a guru. So there's two ways of thinking about that. It's a law. You must have a guru. Or I must have a guru. I must have that one as my guru. I must. That feeling must come. Hmm? Hmm? Naturally. Happily. Hmm? If that comes naturally, happily, that will come as a result of your own sincerity. Hmm? In a general way, they said in our uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita in Bengali, they said, Pramanda Brahmi Tekon Bhagavan Ji Guru Krishna Prashade Bhai Bhakti Lotavij. Pramanda Brahmi Tekon Bhagavan Ji. The, the, the Jeev is wandering hmm, throughout the Brahmanda, throughout the universe. Sometimes, as I said last night, in the water, in the air, on the land, as a quadruped, as a biped, hmm, on four legs, two legs wandering throughout Brahmanda, hmm? life after life. Brahmanda Brahmite Kon Bhagyavan. Bhagya, Bhagya means lucky. Hmm? At some point that G becomes lucky. What does luck mean? Become fortunate. It means 
that jeev comes in touch with something that is outside of the law of cause and effect, outside of karma. That means it's, we say lucky because we say it's outside of reason. There's a reason. This happened because of this cause. Hmm? In a general sense, we say it is happening because of karma. So there's a cause, there's an effect. Hmm? But as we said this morning, some people move in this world not under that influence of karma, but under another influence. Hmm? So if we become lucky, in a sense, it means we come in touch with an influence outside of the karmic problem, if you will. Hmm? And Krishna, who's in the heart, hmm, brings the jiva hmm, in touch with a sadhu, a real sadhu. And the sadhu gives the, the bija, the seed of the lata, bhakti lata. Lata means like, okay. like a vine, you know. It goes around a tree. You have to hold on to something. Hmm? This kind of growth, the metaphor is there. So, so uh, I, you're all... In a, in a situation in your spiritual progress where you're very, like, fertile, if you will, for uh, coming in touch with a situation like that that can, that can help you to move from a general way in the direction of God in a more systematic way. Hmm? <coughs> Do you follow me? With guidance, just like in school, you, you want to be a physicist, you may read books and, and as a child and so forth, and then, then you go to school, you get a teacher, then you can actually systematically progress. Hmm? So I think that will come in, in many of your lives. Uh, um, and if I can help you in any way, then of course, of course I, I will. And from our perspective, from our tradition, hmm, this is happening to you. Hmm? Hmm? This, this, will, this will come in your life. Hmm? And at that point, you can start to see how to apply yourself in your own situation hmm? so that you can make progress and you don't have to think, I'm not really a devotee, I'm just something, you know, I, uh, I'm out a little outside. Hmm? We, that's a very nice attitude. When people come and say, I don't think I'm qualified, we think, oh, he's so qualified. <laughs> Hmm? We have a saying in Bhakti uh, Marg that, um, what's that saying? Ati Bhakti Lakshan Chor. You know what? Ati Bhakti. Ati Bhakti means very much Bhakti. Lakshana means symptom. Chor means thief. <laughs> Too much Bhakti? That is a sign of a thief. Oh, I'm Bhakti, I'm Okay, see you later. <laughs> if someone comes and says, I'm not devotee, I'm very unqualified, I'm not quite, I, I'd like to participate, but I, you know, I'm a little outside, we think, well, you're very nice, very, very good, very good. We can help such a person. We are like that too. Hmm? In bhakti, one is always a student, such is the subject. Krishna is a student himself. He's thinking, what does, what does Radha see in me? What is it about me that makes her the way she is? Hmm? So, hmm, I think that you can very much be part. And if you, I'll give an example. If you like, for example, to my discourse, for example, hmm, you can listen to it 
All of my talks are recorded. They're all available online a day or two after they come out. So my students, they were there always using a technology for this, you know, with the iPod, they're always listening, driving, and everywhere. And so they get nourished by that. They get nourished by that. So you can learn so much, and it can be very inspirational. There are things that you can add to your life. You know, you should be vegetarian. You can, you can do japa hmm? of Krishna Nam. That is very easy. If you're interested, I can help you with that. But I would suggest, in relation to this community, which is close to you, hmm, that you study it a little bit more. Hmm? If you study it, if you listen to my talk, like I've written, for example, commentary on Bhagavad Gita. You're familiar with Bhagavad Gita a little bit. So I have like six, seven hundred page commentary on Bhagavad Gita and translation. You can get it here. Hmm? You study it. If you find it helps you, then you know you're doing the right thing. Hmm? You're growing. If you have a question, a doubt in it, then you ask me. If I can't answer your doubt, then you don't have to ask me anymore. If I can answer your doubt, then you go forward. Hmm? Hmm? Naturally. Suspicion, that leads to suspension. Hmm? So it animates us. We, 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 our suspension is, is uh, how do you say, uh, not animated, but uh, suspended. Suspended animation. If we have a doubt, our motion forward is suspended. But if we're sincere, then we voice the doubt. Hmm? And consistently you find doubts can be removed. Even sometimes you have doubts and questions. Before you ask them, you find them answered hmm? in the discourses and so forth. So then you can understand for yourself, I'm making progress, I'm, I'm growing. Hmm? My enthusiasm is, 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 is my faith. You get faith from those who have faith. It's, it's, it's contagious kind of thing. So these are some ways in which you can participate. You can read my Bhagavad Gita commentary. You can, we do every Sunday in the morning, uh, Sunday morning, 11.30 East Coast time, we have a call, conference call. So many devotees call. It's free. And then they ask me questions. Well, I answer the questions. Hmm? So we try to, this way, share the, the teaching and so forth with people in all walks of life and all situations. And I don't think, I guess my overarching point is that your situation is one that is, um, precludes your making spiritual advancements and progressing in bhakti. So I'll try to help you. But these are some suggestions. Does that help? Does that answer yes. your question? Yes, okay. Good. <laughs> what else? Yes. Now, wait a minute. What is your name? Sushrut. And who is your father? Mother. Mother. My father is not here. Okay. And your name? Manisha. Manisha. Okay. And what part of India are you from? Maharashtra. Maharashtra. Okay. So, when it comes to this project... Yes. <laughs> in a development, then, in like, the roads are as of currently unpaved... Uh, is it going to stay that way as a like a, a retreat sort of thing, or are they going to be paved and, and then are in are is development uh, not not development as in city of development of course, but uh, like is it going to be more developed or a less developed project? It will be well. 
Less is more in our perspective. So it will be more, but it will be less. It will be... <laughs> so, so, no, there won't be paved roads. Hmm? In fact, I had the idea that you have to walk everywhere once parking the car, and if you're too old, we'll have an ox cart <laughs> take you up the hill, the oxen, something like that. So uh, to blend more with the natural environment and so forth, and uh, rather than to, well, uh, there's an old song that they, they said, they paved paradise and built a parking lot. You know, it, it's actually an old song, but resurfaced again. So that's not a good idea. <laughs> uh, so, so to keep it yeah, very natural, um, uh, you know, we, we're doing some clearing of the land, but not like cutting everything down, just so that you can, like here is more clear than some areas, so you can see the forest. It's more healthy for the trees also. So, you know, you have to look and see what trees are at the canopy are actually getting the sun. If some are not getting the sun, then they're dying they're better to take them down and it creates more room for the other trees and it brings in more deer and other birds and, and so forth and so on so and then we have separate from here just down the road hmm, just a, maybe a quarter of a mile we have four acres of farmland along the river there I don't know if you've seen that part but we have enough land there to grow I mean four acres of vegetables is a lot of food hmm Right now we're just starting growing vegetables, growing, we have strawberries, blueberries, now vegetables will go in for the spring season shortly, but um, we have our own dairy, as you know, hmm? we have enough milk for 100 families, hmm? um, we expect to get another cow milking soon also, so we want to provide for a certain number of people in the extended community, grow food, if people want to grow themselves, they can take part a little plot and grow their vegetables, and so it's not overdeveloped, right? And also, the, if I'm correct, the Anandashram is part of this property. Yes. So then, uh, so then, to get here from there, you have to pass through. You have to pass through the town, I believe. Um, I don't think you have to go through a town, but you'd have to go on a city road. That's true. Okay. So, uh, is there going to be like an alternate interconnected? <laughs> that would be a good idea. We, we thought about that, actually. Actually, if you go on the top here, up on the top, where the temple will be and so forth, you keep walking back and back and back to the south, there's another property there, and it's connected to another road. We would like to buy it. Hmm? Mm -hmm. Man wants to sell it, 30 acres there. But then then we'd be that much closer to Nanda Ashram. Then you just to the woods and you're there. So we'll see if we can develop that. I don't know what the future of Nanda Ashram will be. I have thought that that maybe we can turn it into a school hmm, for children there. Hmm. You know, in uh, America, there's some more alternative types of schooling, like Waldorf schooling and uh, Montessori, these type of things. So some of my students, they had training in that. I would like to kind of change it a little bit, Hinduize it a, a little bit, something like that, and have school for for children. So maybe we use that. So there's actually seven acres there on, on the ashram. So it's a nice possibility. So we have that in mind. But yes, less development, that's more. Mm -hmm.
What else? Yes. Okay. Um, I think listening to how you have um, provided the background of the scientific reasoning and trying to prove what the matter is and uh, defining the consciousness and I think the medical science is almost going towards cloning and now to you know even higher level of the biological advances where transplanting was something that they, they are already trying but even growing organs and all that mm -hmm. so there has been a lot of advancements but I think still uh, what I was hearing and I think I have um, heard about from the other uh, you know, religious gurus and leaders as well, where the science and the religious still seem to be kind of, you know, butting head at the beginning of the universe and a lot of other things uh -huh. that are not clearly, uh, you know, kind of explained or in agreement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think in the lately, it's, uh, uh, are there any um, situations or let's say that the same religious leader when they have to depart from this earth, all the teachings that you know they, they, have, they have been trying to impart on their disciples and devotees and all that would they would kind of cling to the life or trying to cling to the life so that they can extend or prolong their life. Mm -hmm. And medical science is the only way that some of them are really doing. So how much of that really speaks to their, uh, you know, the kind of the inner that they would have developed through their religious practice, their meditational and yogic practice to sustain their own life rather than depending on the science. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Why would, I mean, is, is it probably not uh, kind of the level of maturity for these masses mm -hmm. to say, I'm done and this is the end. They would recognize rather than trying to sustain their life mm -hmm. through their life support. Yeah, I think I understand the question. Yeah. First of all, I, I think that, uh, yes, there is a obviously a, a conflict between, as it's uh, presented in, in the public forum, between religion and science. But whether that represents actual religion and actual science is another question. Because in one sense, science, it must come from what, the Greek or Latin? Hmm? It means, like, to know. Hmm? So, so it's, it's a way, it's, it's in the pursuit of knowledge. Hmm? So it's, now the scientific method is a particular method by which a certain kind of knowledge can be acquired. And religion is also interested in knowledge. Hmm? It has a different method, and it pursues a different kind of knowledge. So then when you, when you try to say that science and the scientific methodology of the controlled experiment, 
this is the hallmark of modern science, the controlled experiment. So you control an environment, you make an experiment, you get consistent data, and then you have facts, hmm? right? You hand the facts over to the technicians, they, they make something out of it, and, and so on. Hmm? This is modern science. Of course, it's, it's, it's assumed, hmm? well, the assumption is, well, I should say, the problem with the controlled experiment in terms of that particular method of arriving at knowing is that you can only control things that are inferior to you. So if there is something in reality that is superior to you, it's not going to be controllable, hmm? and, and you won't know it by the scientific method. Hmm? In other words, it's a, it's a foregone conclusion that you can't control something that you can't control <laughs> that's superior to you. Hmm? So if something's outside of your capacity to control exists, he's, he or she or whatever is not going to show up in the control experiment. So science, as I see it then, is a certain kind of knowledge by which we can arrive at certain understanding. And religion is also a certain type of uh, uh, pursuit of knowledge by which a certain kind of knowledge can be known. When the, when the scientific, scientific community thinks all knowledge can be known by the scientific method, hmm? and when the religious community thinks all knowledge can be known by the religious method, then they have a problem. Hmm? Then the religious book is misinterpreted in a literal way, perhaps, perhaps for example, and it seems to contradict observable scientific facts, and so forth. Uh, that's largely what happens in the world today. They don't deal so much with, with Hinduism or Bhagavad Gita, but you take, like, the Bible, and it says the world was created in seven days or something like that. And I don't know, some Christians think that the world is 6,000 years old or something like that. And uh, um, so they're taking a literal understanding of the Bible, and then they, they want it to encompass all knowledge, and it, so it's not working. So these are two realms of knowing. Now, we do say that by scientific, by, by spiritual method, you can come to full knowing. But full knowing also means that you know that matter is endlessly mutable. We call it Vishnu Maya, so you can never measure it completely, and we don't try to. Hmm? Modern science is, of course, trying to capture it all, and and so forth. We think they can capture it and measure it to an extent, but not entirely. Hmm? So like Bhagavatam, the Gita, they don't go into detail, great detail of what is matter. They more or less say to us, matter is something to transcend. Hmm? And, and whatever it is, what's more important is consciousness and, and, and so forth. They say some things about matter. Hmm? They tell us enough about it that we can get impetus to pursue the subjective, the spiritual, the, the world of consciousness. Hmm? Modern science wants to go into great detail about matter, and they don't know anything about consciousness. Hmm? So the conflict comes when one sector or the other sector makes a claim that they can have all kind of knowledge. That I can be completely enlightened from the point of view of the Bhagavad Gita, but I won't be able to build a jet airplane. Hmm? I won't be able to build a, a, a Mars rocket, you know. So I give my pranam. They went... To Mars, I'm thinking that's pretty interesting. That's pretty, pretty good. Of course, you know what would they do there? That's another thing. 
Same thing they're doing here. So the women, have, why go? Hmm? So the, there are places, other places to go where you do something different, hmm? where you won't be taking, where you only be giving, loving, within, in the inner world. Hmm? So, but still, I, I could be perfectly knowledgeable, enlightened, let us say, hmm? but not know how to do many things materially. Hmm? I might not know how to cure a headache, hmm? even, or the common cold. Hmm? So, there are other ways of knowing, hmm? right? And so, some persons are interested in that, so I can go to them for that kind of knowledge. So, this is the first point about the conflict between science and religion. And then, if you look more closely, also, at religion, you see that, that there, is a, there is religion, there's a religious orientation, I would say, to a tradition, and then there's a mystical orientation to a tradition. Hmm? A religious orientation and a spiritual experiential orientation. These are different. For the religious orientation, you have your, well, you have your Hindus, fundamentalist Hindus. Hmm? You have fundamentalist uh, Muslims, fundamentalist Christians. They are fighting with one another. Hmm? But you don't find Rumi. You know who's Rumi? Rumi is a Sufi hmm? mystic from the past. Hmm? He's not fighting with Shankar hmm? or with Chaitanya or Krishna or Jesus. Hmm? They're not, they have some differences, subtle differences about the nature of transcendence and the means to arrive there. But they're not fighting with one another. So the mystics, they have... They stand on some common ground, hmm? the ground of being. Hmm? Some are sitting on it, some are dancing on it. Hmm? So they have different perspectives on it, but they have much in common. They know they have transcended matter, they have controlled the mind and the senses, hmm? they are experiencing the Atma hmm? to different extents and so forth. So, so the religious orientation on the one side differs from the mystical orientation to the same tradition. The Jews... They killed Jesus. He was also Jew. Hmm? But he was telling them what the tradition is really about. They didn't want to hear that. Hmm? I had some experience years ago. I was in Chicago sp speaking for a number of months. Hmm? And a, a young couple, um, a Presbyterian minister and his wife, who was a Catholic, they had no children. They had the parish near the temple. And so they were educated people, and they would see the devotees, and they thought, what is that? So she started coming to the temple and listening to my lectures. Hmm? And she was liking the lectures so much. She would go home and tell her husband, and he would like the thoughts. And so that he began to speak to the congregation hmm? and filter in some of these more essential spiritual concepts like detachment and, uh, and so forth. And the congregation was mostly older ladies, and they didn't like it at all. <laughs> They complained to the bishop, and they shipped him to the Bahamas hmm, to preach to the natives, something like that. They didn't like that. So it's very common that in the religious orientation, if someone really gets it, he or she becomes an outcast, even. Hmm? Gets the heart of the whole thing. Hmm? So these mystics in different traditions, they all have something in common. Hmm? There are few of them. They're not the majority, but they're... They're right, hmm? and they don't fight with one another. Then you go to the scientific side. Hmm? 
So you have scientists, and then you have something, what do they call that? It's not science, but it's... Scientism. Scientism. Scientism is like the fundamentalist form of science. Hmm? That, uh, that, 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 that takes data, hmm? which is neutral, hmm? from experimentation, then interprets the data in a particular way, and then makes a metaphysical leap, hmm? and then calls that leap science. Hmm? Just like, for example, I can get certain data um, about the brain, hmm? and I can find a correspondence between mind and brain. I can find correlation between mind and brain. So I can find a very close correlation, so I can say, mind is brain. Hmm? But correlation and causation are two different things. Hmm? In Vedanta, it's a given that there will be a correlation between mind and brain. It doesn't make them the same. Hmm? Something will happen in my mind, and it'll have a corresponding uh, manifestation in the brain. Hmm? Or you can't say which way it goes. Does it come from the brain to the mind, mind to the brain? Hmm? So they make a leap. For example, naturalism. Naturalism is another popular term for materialism, basically. But we call it metaphysical naturalism. Because it's not a proven thing. But they speak about it as if it's a proven fact. Hmm? Religion should be banished from the world. Hmm? And we, and we, we've proven enough. We don't have to prove anymore. We, there's some... It's not quite... What do they say? There's some explanatory gap. But we'll get to it in the future. But we have enough... We, have, we reach a conclusion... But this is not science. Hmm? This becomes a religion. So we call it scientism hmm? rather than science. And religion, fundamentalist religion, we, do, we don't call that spirituality. Hmm? So you take modern science. Now, modern science was born as a Christian. Modern science, as we know it, with the scientific revolution in Europe and the controlled experiment... This was, at, that came about at a time when Europe was ruled by the Pope. Hmm? The Catholic Church ruled Europe. Hmm? The Pope was not a figurehead at the time, you know, in the Catholic religion. There were some, of course, the, 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 the Protestant religions, Lutheranism and so forth, had started as well, but the Church hmm, had really the, the final say on, on knowledge. But in time, with the scientific revolution and some insight from maybe Aristotle and so forth, and uh, there was this reasoning and faith came, you know, into, to kind of fight with one another or work one another out and so forth, harmonizing the head with the heart and so forth. And so science was originally thought to be the means by which we would prove the existence of God. See how wrong they were. Now it's so much the nemesis of, of religion um, misunderstood as I'm speaking about it. Hmm? So, what I'm saying is, excuse me, that Christian science, modern science, was born as a Christian. As it grew up, it became agnostic. And Christians in the scientific community, many of them became, from Christians, they became deists. We were talking about classical physics earlier today. So deism was, a, was an idea that there's a God, but he doesn't have anything to do with the world. He set it up, and, and he, that's it. He set it up, he started, he turned the watch on, the clock on, 
and now he's over there. We don't find any room for him to make miracles or come inside. Everything's working. So this was deism. And then from there, so it's moving in the direction of agnosticism. Then it becomes agnostic, I don't know, and now it's becoming atheistic. Hmm? Modern science is now a young man. Hmm? Hmm? A young man. Uh, maybe, maybe even maybe 30 years old or something like that, 35, feeling pretty con strong, 40, pretty convinced, hmm? and becoming atheistic. But if it is to live on, from being a Christian to an agnostic to an atheist, it will have to become a mystic. That is my opinion. It will have to become a mystic. Hmm? Because, again, real spirituality, hmm? Vedanta, hmm? And, and, and there's forms of that in Christianity also, or in other traditions. Hmm? There are some incredible saints in Catholic history who are experiencers. Hmm? That's another thing. So, real spirituality and real science, they're actually both different ways of knowing. Hmm? And there is some meeting point for them. Hmm? So, for religion to, really, to live on, hmm? and for science to live on, hmm? this mysticism, which incorporates both, so to speak, which, which dissolves this dichotomy, it does away with the dichotomy of science and, and religion being opposed to one another. They, they, they can complement one another. Hmm? But in order for science to complement religion, and religion to complement science, both realms have to be uh, accepted. Hmm? And that puts then some limitations on science. What I mean by that is moral limitations. Hmm? So when we, we can manipulate nature, but if we try to change the nature of nature, then there could be many problems. So you, do you want just... You see, science, not tied to any spirituality, has no rules. So it can create a Frankenstein. Hmm? And then the problem comes up later. Oh, sorry, we did that. Um, now, you know, humans are running from the machines. What to do? Hmm? So the religious idea, properly understood, puts certain limits on science. Hmm? Because it says... They're ontologically speaking, there's something beyond matter. Hmm? And attaining it is the goal. And so we should do science in such a way that it helps us to attain the goal. Hmm? If you have no goal, if you throw that out, the wisdom of the, of the Jesuses and the Shankars and the Chaitanyas and the Rumis and so forth, who made such an impact on the world, hmm? if you throw out their, their experiences, their insights, hmm? and that possibility for yourself, then science is that just do whatever you want. It becomes the God. Science says there's no God, but then it becomes a God. It becomes a religion. You can't do away with God. Hmm? God means Ishwar. Ishwar means controller. So if science is going to control everything, they become the Ishwar. Hmm? Then they decide who will live and who will die, who is happy and who is not happy. Hmm? This is very... Uh, frightful, hmm? if you think about it. Hmm? And then you want to b make people, clone people, you talk about, and so forth. And so, and then you decide, well, 
this child mm, might be born like this, we'll get rid of her. Hmm? Just try and try another one. Hmm? And breeding and these things. These bring up very, very powerful ethical, moral um, concerns. Those concerns are thrown out hmm, if you don't have a, a, an ideal, so to speak, and you're just kind of winging it, and the, or the ideal is just, let's just make ourselves materially happy in some way and try to extend our lives, and, and this is everything, and it's only matter, and so forth. This is a, a frightening kind of uh, idea. And the, and the conclusion is that, well, people are machines. The problem, of course, is if you can create a robot that is completely human, what will happen? That robot will start thinking, what am I? Why am I? Is there God? <laughs> That's what humans do. So you can't get away from that. Hmm? These questions will never go away. You can think, see, we created the human. We are the gods. And the human will say, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. I read the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> I think differently. So I'll continue, but yes? Okay, so then when you, when you say that, but then is religion or a lack thereof explicitly tied to science in any such way that, that could affect? Because if you're, you say that science can try to dominate, but what if the science doesn't, uh, but if the science doesn't advance enough to try to dominate, then... Then it's okay, you say? Uh, then what, like, what would happen? Then I'm saying that, that science should serve a higher ideal. It should, there should be a higher ideal, and it should serve that ideal. Hmm? So it has its place. And, yes? Uh, so, so science is intended to explore the outer world and, and the material fact, like the stick. Yeah. Science knows what's in the stick. That there are, that, and whereas religion explores thought and what? Consciousness, let's say. Subjective world, right? So, are you asking a question? Yeah, I'm asking whether that's true or not. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Hmm? They have different realms, but which realm is more important? Is the matter more important, or is consciousness more important? I think that, like in Bible, it says, if you get the whole world, but you lose your soul, lose your soul, then you lost everything. Hmm? So, consciousness is, is infinitely more important than matter, so therefore the material sciences should serve the spiritual sciences, if you will. Hmm? It, should, it should not dismiss the spiritual ideal and try to preside and take the place of God, but it should serve humanity by examining matter and developing technology and so forth, but in a way that facilitates spiritual pursuit, just like we're going to use science here. We're going to use architect, you know? and an engineer, and, and, and so forth. We're not going to just chant. And ex you know. <laughs> yes? Uh, so then when it comes to, aren't they not in a symbiotic relation like humans and cows? Humans and cows are in a, in a symbiotic relation, yeah. That way, are, uh, are the two sciences 
I'm saying they're in a relationship. I'm explaining their relationship. One should serve the other. Hmm? So material science should serve the spiritual pursuit. Hmm? And the spiritual pursuit can t takes it, it also serves the material science by by giving its its limitations, so to speak. Because if science is left to, unlimited to do whatever it wants, it could create a monster hmm? and create problems for the, the for the human society. Hmm? So they have a relationship. Yes. Now, so to further answer your your, your question, I started by the science and the religion and this this apparent conflict and so forth, and how to see beyond that. It requires being truly scientific and truly spiritual. Hmm? And so, so your question is that, well, let us say a sannyasin is going to die, to get to the specific uh, point of your question, then, uh, you know, they put him on a life support or something, and, uh, and he's using the science to stay alive, and, and meanwhile he's been preaching against science, but, but I'm not preaching against science, am I? I'm not preaching against science. I'm saying it, I use it all the time. I'm using it right here. Hmm? But for, for a purpose. It has a purpose, a higher, un, other than itself. Hmm? It has a purpose. Hmm? And so, I will use it to a point. So, for example, if I get sick, I go to the doctor. Hmm? It's not, that doesn't contradict my philosophy or way of life. Hmm? That's what I'm saying. It had, they, 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 they combine. Now, it's true that when you get old, Hmm? older, I'm supposed to live till 93, we'll see, uh, they give me about 30 years, so, 33, 20, 27 years, uh, you know, that's astrology, you know, palmistry, <laughs> so, <laughs> not quite a science, but interesting, so anyway, when you get old, then you'll get, uh, you know, the body breaks down, and so forth, and then, you know, so, what do you do? You know, it's like a car, right? Of course, so first when it first gets a dent, you fix it right away. After a while, you know, well, it's got a dent, so what? You know, you know got to keep going here. You know, I won't fix it this time. So, so with the body, of course. Now, the devotees of the guru, they want him to stay forever. You know, they don't understand that he will stay forever, hmm? but he's teaching you to follow him beyond the limitations of your this present life. Hmm? So the real the, the part, the departure of the guru is not a departure at all. Hmm? If you actually follow, it's the time when we are meant to go more internal, hmm? and he or she in departing is giving impetus for that. But at any rate, they try to keep him within reason. Hmm? Now there may be instances where, you know, there are there are also imitation sannyasis, hmm? and. And they may be attached, want to prolong their life, and, and so forth. So that's the problem. We have in, in, in Bhagavatam, in Mahabharata, Bhishma. Bhishma. Oh, <laughs> you know the word, Bhishma, and everybody's frightened. So he, he knew when he would die, right? So, hmm? and in Chaitanya tradition, the Haridas Thakur, he, he knew when he would die. Hmm? So... I think mature sannyasi will know now is the time. Hmm? You tell everybody. And there are many examples of that in the history of the Shastra, Scripture, and so on and so forth. Hmm? Um, 
you know, at a certain point, you're going to obviously take care of your health to a certain point. At a certain point, you're going to say, you know, this is it. And then, then you can give a very strong and powerful teaching at that time and emphasize a point that you've been emphasizing all along. So I think that's important. Does that help to answer your question? Okay. Interesting topic. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. I got a question about something that we talked a little bit this morning, passing a little bit this morning. Okay. Um, we talked about karma, hmm. which is basically deals with pain and pleasure uh, aspect of it. I wanted to get a kind of compare and contrast pleasure part of that to Ananda. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. You can compare and contrast those two. Mm-hmm. To, to, to understand for myself a better definition of those two things. Right. Yeah. So, so we have good karma and bad karma. So good karma is pleasing, right, to us. Hmm? So artha, kama, hmm? these are good karma. Artha means you'll get some economic wealth. Hmm? Kama means you get a good family, and the senses are pleased. Hmm? So uh, there are all types of material pleasure, hmm? Happy, material happiness, right? All types of material happiness. And there are all types of material distress. But they are two sides of the same coin, actually. Hmm? Because, like in Gita, it is taught, hmm? Dukkha yonayevate, the, the yoni, the womb from which uh, attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. Hmm? We get pleasure from our attachments. I like this. So I'm attached to it. Hmm? But you cannot keep it. So Krishna says to Arjun, I'll tell you about the world. Dukkalayam ashashvatam. Dukkalayam means it's about misery. So if Arjun says, Krishna says, Arjun, this world is about suffering. And Arjun says, but I like it. Sometimes there's some nice things. And then Krishna says, ashashvatam. You can't keep it. How do you like it now? You understand? Now it becomes even more problematic. I like it, but I can't keep it. Oh, now I'm suffering. Hmm? So this is the nature of material happiness. Hmm? It's, it's not enduring. And if you keep following it, following it, it turns into material sadness. Hmm? And these things just go back and forth, back and forth. This is like a roller coaster ride in material life. Hmm? So the pleasure derived from attachment that, that actually gives birth to suffering is very different from ananda. Hmm? Ananda, it's like a shadow of ananda only. A shadow, like a semblance of ananda. It resembles it in some way, but it doesn't endure. Whereas ananda, that is enduring. Hmm? It's of the nature of the self, the nature of consciousness. It's inherent in consciousness. Hmm? And the beginning of Ananda, the experience of Ananda, is the release from the world of the senses and the mind 
that's all about attachment. Hmm? As we get released from that world, we feel ananda. So in sp real spiritual practice, you can feel ananda. It means you're moving away from the world of material pleasure and material pain. Hmm? There's also pain in ananda. I said, there is pain in material happiness. Hmm? Similarly, there is pain in ananda. What is that? Hmm? That is a very high thing. Hmm? Pain in ananda. For example, in ananda, one feels compassion. That is pain. He feels the pain of others. Hmm? Very peculiar. Hmm? You understand? He has no suffering, but if he feels the suffering for others, this is compassion. There's a kind of pain inside Ananda. In the higher side, also, in Krishna Leela, if Krishna leaves Vrindavan to go to Mathura, there is suffering. <laughs> there is suffering in Vrindavan, separation. But separation, it is said in English, makes the heart grow fonder. Hmm? In separation, in union with Krishna, there is one Krishna. It is said, in separation from Krishna, there are millions of Krishnas. Everywhere one looks, one is reminded of Krishna. Everything reminding me of my beloved. Hmm? So it's a kind of pain, but it's full of ananda. So just like the happiness of material life, of the karmic world, if you look carefully at it, it's actually suffering. So if you look at the suffering in ananda, it's actually joyful. <laughs> Very peculiar. Hmm? So, let's use another word, ecstasy, for ananda. I think in the, in the English dictionary, ecstasy will be explained as beyond the senses. Ex, ecstasis, maybe. Uh, forgive me. <laughs> but beyond the senses. So, when you have ananda, when you experience ananda, you know, it's something like this. If I could have taken all the happiness that I could have got in the realm of karma and put it in one big syringe and injected myself with all of it at once, it would not measure up to one particle of what is ananda. Hmm? Hmm. You see, with ananda, you can turn your, whole, your back on everything that the world has to offer without a second thought. Hmm? Hmm? It is complete in itself. Now, what happens in real spiritual practice with good guidance, when we have some sadhana, however little, some sadhana, some part of the morning set aside, I will sit, I will maybe do japa, Krishna Nam, for 15 minutes, half an hour. I will not think of anything else. I will think of something else, but I will keep trying. <laughs> and I do it regularly so that my mind becomes trained. At this time, you don't think of anything else. At this time, you don't think of anything else. You train the mind. Hmm? Gradually, it starts to listen. Okay, now it's time for chanting. Hmm? And so, in concentrated spiritual practice like this, you get some ananda. Hmm? Then you know. Whatever I may say may be interesting to you, but when you get ananda, then you know. Hmm? So confirming. Hmm? So in our practice, everybody gets a little ananda. They say, oh, that was ecstatic. I felt something different. Different than anything material. It's like a wave. It comes. 
and I'm, I'm consumed in that. And what I did to get that doesn't measure up to what I got. It's so confirming. It's a taste of what I, what I am as a unit of consciousness. It's very extraordinary. Hmm? It's very confirming. Hmm? Then one wants to pursue that, to hone that. Hmm? So, for example, in bhakti tradition, sometimes Krishna will, in chanting, Krishna will give early samananda. Hmm? And then you become encouraged. Then gradually, you, gradually your whole life will be shaped around that. Just like now your life is shaped around two things, avoiding material distress and getting material happiness. That's the whole life. Hmm? I don't want to suffer, I want to be happy. And I want to make my, my, my extension of myself, my family, happy. Hmm? My son is me. I want to make him happier than I am. So I can be happy through him, or <laughs> something like that, or her daughter, it may be the case. So, this is material life. I try to avoid the suffering, I try to find the happiness. Hmm? Back and forth. But, again, one leads to the other. They're two sides of the same coin. Hmm? In real spiritual practice, we taste someone under, we know this is a different thing altogether. Hmm? So the world, the philosophy of Vedanta is a real world. There's actual, you can experience it. Hmm? Something like this. And then a little taste of that, then your whole life becomes oriented around that. Hmm? To hone that, to get more of that. Hmm? So I, then I, I determine what would be favorable for bhakti, I will do that. What's not favorable for bhakti, I will give that up. Hmm? This is my renunciation. We're not tyagis here. We're lovers. Hmm? So we're lovers, meaning we attach to Krishna. So if I, if I love Krishna and something is not favorable for Krishna, loving Krishna, I don't want anything to do with it. That is my tag. Hmm? It's not a raw kind of tag, giving up. It's out of love. It's a byproduct of love. Hmm? So as we get ananda, then naturally things that are not favorable for that. Hmm? Because I, if I concentrate, for example, on Krishna Nam, I can get ananda. Hmm? But if I'm doing something that doesn't allow me to concentrate, and I'm thinking, and I'm doing that, why am I thinking about that? Why did I waste my time with that? Some thought, and that just like, it doesn't help me or serve me in any way. And I stop doing that. Hmm? I stop going there, or whatever. Hmm? This happens naturally. Hmm? And as you do this, if you can do this, if you want to help your children, you do this. Hmm? Because you can talk to them all day long, but if you don't change your own life, hmm? they won't listen to you very long. So you'd be a good example. Try to pursue this, and you'll be successful. These people here, they, some of them, they have been practicing for years, but they're no different than, than yourselves. They ask me the same question like you asked me in the very beginning. <laughs> same kind of question. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. So, what is the time? Seven. Seven. When do we start? 5.30? Mm -hmm. Enough talking? Huh? Okay. <laughs> So now we will take some prasad, and, and tomorrow you'll be here for lunch, right? Okay, very nice. Pardon? In the morning, we'll get a class from you? Uh, perhaps. I, I, I don't know what's planned. Whatever's planned, yeah. I'm always talking. <laughs> if anybody's listening. And if they're not, I'm talking to myself, I guess. Okay, Hare Krishna. Sri Krishna Bhagavan Vijay. Hare Pramanandi. Hare Krishna. Maharaj Ki Jai. Jai.